Good morning, everyone. Um, as Joey mentioned just a few moments ago, today is Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week. And it also means next Sunday is Easter. And so as we wrap up this uh, season of Lent and we move into Easter, I want to explore uh, two questions. Uh, one question today and then one question uh, next Sunday. And um, I think they're probably the two most important questions of the entire Christian faith. Now, the one we're going to talk about today is both um, theological and existential at the same time. Meaning, it's one of those really big theological questions that people think deeply about, and so we are going to have to think deeply about today. Um, but existential just means it's also one of those things that's not just an academic exercise. It's not something that uh, uh, theologians and philosophers just sit in their ivory towers talking about or debating about. This is one of those questions that we actually feel. In fact, every single time we get into this uh, season of the year and we move into Holy Week, this is one of those things I feel deeply and I'm asking and I'm wrestling with and uh, it's hard to make sense of. And I feel like if I can't make sense of this question, then I'm not sure I can make sense of everything else that I believe. And so this is a question we're going to ask that's really important if you're a teenager. It's important if you are uh, uh, questioning your faith. It's important if you're deconstructing your faith. It's important if you're reconstructing your faith. Um, it's important if you're someone who's gone to church most of your life. Because sometimes we ask this question in church and maybe a religious leader or teacher or pastor gave you an answer that wasn't very helpful. And so with all that in mind, um, I need to take some time to set up the question that we're going to ask. And in fact, we need to ask a different question first, because we've been looking at Jesus's kindness over the last five weeks during this season of Lent, the way that he loved people, the way that he served people, the way that he healed people, the way that he wept with people in their pain and in their grief, the way that he showed compassion and mercy. And we were reminded that that people were drawn to Jesus because of his kindness. And so even on Palm Sunday, they welcomed him into Jerusalem as their king. And so why, five days later, was Jesus betrayed, abandoned, tried, sentenced, beaten, tortured, and executed? So uh, the first question we have to ask, and this is not the big theological existential one, but the first one we have to ask is simply, why did Jesus die? Like, what happened? What actually led to his death? Who or what specifically killed Jesus? And I have a, a simple one-sentence answer from, for you. It's mostly from the accounts that we have, the historical accounts and the eyewitness accounts. And it's this. Jesus died... Because the people in power were threatened by his power. So we have these uh, four detailed accounts, and they all describe how Jesus was this Jewish rabbi, and he was a miracle worker, and he had attracted this large following. And the, the things he said, and the things he did regarding his power, and the kingdom that he said he was bringing, began to threaten the Jewish leaders. It also threatened the Roman authorities during his day. And so together they conspired to begin looking for ways to eliminate Jesus. That's 
the most clear and simple and straightforward human explanation for what happened on Good Friday. That Jesus' message and power were a threat to the people in power, and so they killed him. And in that sense, uh, Jesus is like many victims of injustice throughout human history, right? There have been many martyrs, many people who have come along and, and pushed against the dominant powers of the day. And as a result, the powers pushed back. The powers put them in their place. The powers threw them in jail or exiled them or in some cases like Jesus executed them. But what makes Jesus so different from all of these other uh, uh, victims or all of these other martyrs, what makes him so unique is that he seemingly had the power to fight back if he wanted to. He could have stopped what was happening to him. He could have crushed his enemies. We have story after story of Jesus doing these miraculous things, right? He walks on water. He's healing people's diseases. He's calming the storm. Don't you think he could have easily gotten the better of his enemies on Good Friday? Couldn't he have easily outsmarted them? Couldn't he have easily turned the crowds and gotten them back on his side? Couldn't he have easily done something supernatural to stop what was happening? In fact, Jesus himself, he said this to one of his followers on the night that he was betrayed. He said, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. A legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. Jesus is saying, like, I can call on 72,000 heavenly soldiers, right? I can call in the, the heavenly Navy SEALs or special forces. And with the snap of my fingers, do you know what I could do? And yet... Jesus would surrender himself to the authorities and the Jewish leaders. Why? He could have put a stop to everything they were trying to do on Good Friday. He could have shown the people and the leaders who he really was and who was really in charge. So why didn't he? Why does Jesus seem to allow everything to happen to him on Good Friday as if it was all part of some greater plan? Or greater purpose. Because there's really no other explanation. In fact, this is what one of his disciples, Jesus, or Peter, concluded a couple of months later after Jesus was executed. Peter gave a speech to his fellow Jews right there in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. And he said this Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter's saying, right, we all know Jesus was powerful. He was amazing. He was sent from God. He was doing God's work. We all saw that. But then you, he's pointing his finger at his fellow Jews, you with other wicked men. And the word wicked there literally means people who do not follow the Jewish law. So he's talking now about the Roman authorities. You and the Romans together, you crucified him. And for Peter, the only way that any of this made sense is that it was all part of God's plan. That God knew ahead of time 
that the people in power would be threatened by Jesus' power, and as a result, they would try to eliminate Jesus. And so God used that as part of his deliberate plan and for his greater purposes. In fact, many of us know this story. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he went and prayed alone in a garden. And his prayer went something like this. I'm just paraphrasing. He basically said to God, God, is there any other way? to do the work that you sent me here to do. And God was silent. You ever prayed a prayer like that where you've asked God for something and just heard nothing back? It's almost like the father was shaking his head saying, no, there's no other way. To which Jesus then said, okay, let's finish the work that you sent me to do. And it was right after that that Jesus was arrested. So what was the work that Jesus was sent to do? What was the plan? What was the greater purpose? Why did Jesus allow himself to be arrested and then killed? Why did Jesus give up his life? This is the big theological and existential question that we have to ask. Why did Jesus have to die? That's the big one. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning summarizing for you how the earliest followers of Jesus answered this question. The people that wrote things down like Peter and Paul and John, others who went around like Lydia and Junia and Priscilla teaching and telling people about what Jesus had done. And I want to encourage us to reflect on The answer to this question this week, here's basically what they said. Jesus died to offer forgiveness and reconciliation. So the problem is sin, right? Uh, We do things that are wrong. Sometimes it's towards ourselves. We mistreat ourselves. A lot of times it's towards other people. We mistreat other people. Sometimes it's just towards the creation and the world itself. We mistreat Our world. But if God is like a father and he created us and he told us how to treat ourselves with love and dignity, and he told us how to treat other people with love and dignity, and he told us how to treat this world with love and dignity, and then we ignore what he said, then our mistreatment, our sin, is also against him. In fact, you could maybe even say it is foundationally and fundamentally against him. So uh, sometimes the Bible uses this imagery of a courtroom to talk about this, that our sin is like a crime we've committed. It's like a, a law that we have broken. And it's not just one law or one thing, right? It's a whole bunch of stuff. It's a lifetime of choices where we've mistreated ourselves or others or creation or God. And so we've done all of these things. And like in any courtroom, these things need to be rectified, Right? Because if somebody comes and they steal something from you, maybe they steal your, your, your wallet or they steal your phone or they steal your credit card or they steal your car, right? You want a judge to say that what they did was wrong and to pronounce them as guilty and tell them how they have to pay for it. Right? And so the Bible sometimes uses this uh, courtroom language and this debt language to say that our sin created a debt And that Jesus paid the debt for our sin with his life on the cross. 
And in doing so, our sins are then forgiven and we can go free because we don't have to pay the debt anymore. Jesus paid it for us. Now, sometimes the Bible uses more relational language. In fact, Jesus himself seems to use a whole lot more relational language to talk about God, more like a a father than a judge. And that our sins are more like little acts of rebellion against God that just pull us farther and farther and farther and farther away from him. And so the problem really is that we are alienated. We are estranged from God. Our relationship with him is broken and it needs to be repaired and reconciled. But you can't really repair a relationship until you deal with the thing that broke the relationship to begin with which is still our sin and our rebellion. So there's still this debt, but in this case, it's really a gap, a gap that has to be traversed, and someone has to make the move towards the other. Like, this is true in any broken relationship. Someone makes a move towards the other and says, I'm sorry, it was my fault, how can we reconcile? And so Jesus is doing that for us on the cross. He is absorbing taking upon himself human sin and all of its ugliness, which is what is represented by the authorities that day when they killed Jesus, right? Pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and deceit and anger and injustice and violence. He takes all of that and he absorbs it. And do you remember what he says when he's on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. See, Jesus, through his death, is offering forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father. And I think there's something in all of us that longs for that, right? We we maybe don't always admit it. Sometimes our pride or our stubbornness keeps us from admitting it, but it's still there, right? We long for it from, from each other. Whenever our relationship is broken with somebody else, we know something's not right. We want it to be reconciled. There's something unsettled in our souls until it is reconciled, right? And so we long for it from other people and we long for it from God. And so if you're here today, or maybe you're listening to the podcast today and you've never really experienced that true forgiveness or that true reconciliation with God, then you need to know it's found in Jesus. It is a gift offered to all of us And all we have to do is accept it. We didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. We just accept the gift. And it's saying in our hearts, and maybe it's saying with some words out loud, God, I want to accept this gift of forgiveness and reconciliation that you offer me through what Jesus did on the cross. If you want to do that, all you have to do is acknowledge it and do it. And we want to help you or give you an opportunity to do that. And it would be easy to just move on and and to stop there and to wrap up the sermon with the good news of God offering us this forgiveness and this reconciliation, and we just have to accept this gift from him. But I want to raise a problem with all of this, particularly if you grew up in the church, because maybe you've heard it over and over and over that Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died in order to forgive you. Jesus died in order to reconcile you to God. And maybe those ideas have lost their power. Maybe they've lost their meaning. 
Or maybe you've asked, well, did it really have to be that way? Did Jesus really have to die? Couldn't God have forgiven me and reconciled me without Jesus dying on the cross? And you're basically asking the same question. Why did Jesus have to die? And maybe in the past you've asked that question and someone very well-intentioned in church, a teacher or a Bible study leader or a pastor or somebody, maybe they said this back to you. Well, somebody had to die. Somebody had to be punished for our sin. Somebody had to endure God's furious wrath. And of course, some of these ideas come from parts of the Bible, right? There's the Old Testament sacrificial system that we've read about, where sometimes an animal is killed to atone for somebody's sin. Of course, there's those passages in the Old Testament where God is is described as being angry and full of wrath because his people keep rebelling. Or if we really focus intently on that courtroom metaphor, and, and Paul tends to do this in a couple of the letters that he wrote that are in the New Testament, well, then we start focusing on these ideas of penalty and punishment, right? And somebody has to pay because what, what judge in their right mind would have a robber or a rapist or a murderer standing in front of them and then would just say, you know what, we've decided to just forgive you. You can go free. You don't have to pay for what you did. No, in the courtroom, somebody has to pay. Somebody has to be punished. The problem is when we view our entire relationship with God only through this lens. And then God becomes this angry judge who's mad at us all of the time, and he just wants to kill us because we're horrible people. And then the good news is, don't worry, he was really mad at us, but he decided to just get mad at Jesus and kill Jesus instead of killing us. Which, let's be honest, not very good news. And that just heaps more shame, more guilt, more sense of unworthiness on us. And it's also why some of us probably stopped going to church a long time ago. So so I'm here today to tell you, I don't think these are great answers to the question of why did Jesus have to die? Yes, you can pick a few Bible verses to support some of them, but they don't reflect the fullness of what the Bible teaches. They don't reflect the fullness of the, the God that Jesus came to reveal. And they don't reflect the most important and significant reasons for why Jesus offered his life for us. So let's ask this question one more time. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, first, he died to offer forgiveness and reconciliation. The Bible is clear on that. But it wasn't just about forgiveness and reconciliation. Let me give you three other reasons. Number two, Jesus also died to identify with our pain, suffering, and death. As we all know, and as we talked about last week, we live in a world full of pain and suffering and death. And when we experience those things, maybe in small doses, maybe in medium ways, maybe in very significant ways, we find comfort knowing Jesus knows exactly how we feel. He knows what it's like to have somebody betray him. 
He knows what it's like to be lonely and abandoned by everyone else. He knows what it's like to feel physical pain and suffering. He knows what it's like to feel deep humiliation and public shame. When you experience your deepest shame, he knows how that feels. He was stripped naked and ridiculed in public. He knows the tears of his own mother watching her son die. So could Jesus have forgiven us and reconciled us to the Father without dying on the cross? I don't know, maybe. But his plan and his purpose was not only to forgive us and reconcile us, but to enter the human mess of pain and suffering and death and to say to every single one of us, when we're going through any of that, I know what it's like and I am with you in that. Number three, Jesus also died to show us true love toward our enemies. You see, Jesus came to say, yes, sometimes God must judge. And yes, sometimes God gets angry. When we keep hurting ourselves over and over and over and we keep hurting other people over, how could he love us and not get angry at the way we treat each other? But ultimately, God loves his enemies. He loves those who keep rebelling against him. Jesus gave his life up for those who hated him. And so on Good Friday, when Jesus could have crushed the Jewish leaders, he could have crushed the Roman authorities, he could have crushed the the soldiers who were beating him up, he could have said, you know what, you guys are totally wrong. I am the son of God. You are the ones who need to be punished right now. You are the ones who need to pay right now. He had every right to do that, but he didn't. Because he was revealing to us that God is fundamentally a God of love, not a God of anger, wrath, and vengeance. Now again, I know there are some stories in the Old Testament or particularly the prophets in the Old Testament who sometimes focus on God's wrath. And we'll spend some time this summer as we read through those explaining why that's the case. But Jesus comes and he gives his life on the cross to remove any doubt, to clear up all confusion, to make it crystal clear of who God really is, a God of love toward his enemies. Now there's one more reason Jesus died on the cross. Number four, Jesus died to defeat sin and death. And this is actually at the very center of God's purposes in human history. You see, it wasn't just that sin damages our relationship with God, and so we just need to be forgiven and reconciled. That's true, but sin also destroys us. Sin is like a a disease that eats away at our souls and even our bodies. Paul says that it's like we are enslaved by sin and death, and there's nothing we can do about this bondage of sin and death. And and this is where uh, the Old Testament can actually help us, because we have the whole story of the Exodus, which is about this, right? The Hebrew people are in slavery, and they can't free themselves. And so they're crying out to God to come in and rescue them and deliver them. And so God comes in, he defeats the forces of Egypt and he rescues the people from slavery. 
And it's no coincidence that it's on Passover. When the Jewish people are remembering and celebrating this deliverance of God that Jesus offers his life for all of humanity. You see, Jesus defeats the forces of sin and death by taking upon himself the fullness of human sin and death. And think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, literally dying. He died. That's why the words of the Apostles' Creed are so important. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. He descended to the dead, the place of death. But then he rose from the dead. And Jesus defeats sin and death by taking it all on himself and then conquering it. That's why Jesus had to die. To conquer sin and death in order to liberate us from the slavery and bondage of sin and death. And so, if you put your faith in him, uh, that doesn't mean you don't ever sin anymore, right? Exhibit A, right here. Exhibit B, right here. Yep, yep. I, we just go around, right? It doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. It means we're not a slave to sin anymore. It means that you and I have the Good Friday and Easter Sunday power of Jesus working to transform our minds and our hearts and our souls and our lives. Jesus' death also does not mean that our bodies won't get sick and decay and die. They will. But we face death with a new hope because like Jesus, we will experience new life on the other side of death because he conquered death and he gives that to us. And so today, as we enter the most holy of weeks, may we remind ourselves of these deep and powerful truths. Maybe there's just one of them that you needed to hear today. Maybe there's just one of them that you need to lean into this week. Maybe it's never made sense to you why Jesus died. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this and you're thinking, I believe that. I want to put my faith in that. I want to build my life on that. Wherever you are, we're going to sing a song together now. It's an old hymn called Jesus Paid It All. And as we sing this song, I hope that you will embrace the words of the song and make them the declaration of your heart. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for his faith and his perseverance. We thank you that he finished the work he was sent to do. And that he offers all of us forgiveness and reconciliation. He enters our pain and suffering. He shows us the depth of your love for us. And he conquers sin and death on our behalf. Help us to believe this. And live into it today. We pray this in your name. Amen.